fake it till you make it. You probably heard that phrase before, fake it till you make it. That's kind of that's kind of what you're supposed to do as you grow up. Um, you, you don't, we don't really know everything, and so we fake it until we do. We do that in areas like um, like parenting. Um, my kids aren't here, but sometimes I say things, and I say it with a lot of confidence, like I know what I'm talking about, but maybe I'm still uh, not completely sure if I know what I'm talking about. As, as a husband, um, well, I already have all that part figured out, so... No, I don't really. She's out. She's out there walking, so she she can't hear that. Um, oh, she's in here now. <laughs> I mean, uh, sometimes I don't know what I'm doing, so I have to ask my wife, uh, and she helps me. Um, as a minister, I was given really good advice. I think it was really good advice uh, from a minister I had worked with before, and um, and he said when when you don't know what to say or you're in a tough situation, you're not sure what to say, just don't talk. And maybe he had heard me talk in tough situations, and he and that was just specifically for me. I'm not really sure, um, but I, I shared that first service, and actually a guy from first service said, "You know, there's a quote um, that I've heard that really um, that it uh, it applies to that a lot." I, I kept thinking about it, so uh, he told me the quote, and I looked it up, and uh, it uh, Abraham Lincoln is the one giving credit for it, and he says, "Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt." Well, yeah, that's that's true. Um, I thought it sounded like scripture as well, and so I kind of searched for it. And it's Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. It says, "Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent, and discerning if they hold their tongues." It's like that's true, but so many areas. Uh, I, as a coach, I remember um, there were there were times where a, a game situation happened and we didn't have a play. But do you think in the timeout I'm going to tell my team? Sorry, I have no idea what to do here. <laughs> you guys figure it out. Uh, no, so I would just write up, draw up a play as if it was in my mind, and really it was in my mind for about two seconds because I made it up as I went. But that's just that's just that's life. I mean, uh, people assume that we know what we're doing in the area that we, if we have a title or a role or responsibility, it's like, well, you should know this. It's you're so and so. Well, um, that's tough. For the most part, it's okay not to know. I mean, for the, some things we have to know or we wouldn't be competent to do anything, but, but for the most part, it's okay if we admit, I, I just don't know. It's something I need to learn. Pretending, although a normal part of our society, is, is just not the way to go. Uh, I, I look around and I see um, a lot of times famous people, but specifically since we're in a church, celebrity pastors who have fallen because they appeared to be someone that they're not. They maybe didn't have integrity, uh, I, I thought about money, like uh, counterfeit money. Uh, let me, like a $100 bill. Does anybody have $100 I can borrow? Uh, <laughs> um, but, it, you know, if you, have a, if you have a $100 bill in your wallet or your purse, to you, you have $100, right? And, uh, and, and I think this is how much buying power I have, and if I, if I need it for this, then I have it. Uh, the problem with a counterfeit bill is it's good uh, until it's not. At the time that you need it most, when you try to use it, uh, that's when it'll be exposed as fake. And so that's the issue when we don't have integrity. And so how can we have integrity but still not have it all together? That's the, There's two big questions I'm going to try to answer. Today. I think the text that we're going into answers, but that's the first one. How, how can we have integrity but not have it all together? We're, we're going through our study in the book of Acts and looking at the early church and I have to go review last week's just a little bit because this is a direct follow-up. I mean, it's actually two different 
parts of two different chapters, but I would say you know, the chapters were added later. It really, really isn't separate. Um, and so it was Acts chapter 4.32 that we looked at last week, and it said all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And so we learned last week that they were of one heart and mind. They weren't perfect, but they had the same mission. They had the same purpose. Uh, They lived with the same love towards one another, and they could count on each other. And, And again, just like last week, and I've said it the whole time, this was the church in its purest form, but it was not perfect. And so the example that we read last week from what I just shared, it's verse 36, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So that's the good example of being of one heart and mind, being generous with one another, having no needy people among them. How did that happen? How did they have such a, a, a great community? Because of, an exam, uh, because of someone like Joseph, who was willing to sacrifice, who was willing to put other needs before his own. But, but what happens when we can't count on each other? What happens when there are needy people among us? Or, and I'm not just saying financial, that was the example there. But what happens when we have needy people among us and we, we can't count on each other to help us? Here's, here it is, Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Here's the, Joseph was the good example, now the... Not so good example. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And so, like Ananias, Ananias sold a piece of property, uh, um, I mean, like Barnabas or Joseph, they did the same thing. They both had land, they both sold the land, and uh, they both pledged that they would give all the money to, uh, from the, the sale to the apostles to help the needy among them. It was his choice. But after he made the commitment, um, it was as good as done. I think about commitments like that. I don't know um, who watches this stuff, and I, I didn't watch a lot, but I remember a while back there was the trial with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and one of the big issues that they, they brought up was uh, after their divorce, she pledged all the money that she would receive from, from their divorce settlement. Uh, she pledged it all to a, to a charity. Well, then when they went to court, they said uh, that she hadn't given any of it yet to, that, to the charity. She made a, a promise in front of people publicly, but then she didn't follow through. I think of things like pledges. Um, there, there's opportunities where we can pledge money without giving it up front. But do we really have to give it? Or commitment cards, we, we, say, we say we're going to do something and we don't do it. And we don't like that. None of us like that. I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, any, any of those situations, if someone makes a public announcement or a, um, a promise and then they don't follow through, it kinda, I think it kind of irks all of us. And so 
Peter reminded Ananias that he didn't have to do it. Uh, he didn't have to sell his land. Even if he sold it, he could have, he could have kept the money for himself. He could have kept it, and he could have given uh, 15% uh, to the church or to the apostles for the, well, for the early church. Uh, he didn't have to do this. The problem was uh, that Peter had was not Ananias' greed. It was his deceit. That's what this is all about. I think when we look at this text, first thing I see is, oh, he was greedy. No, he was deceitful. Um, it might have been that you know the greed led to his deceit, but the deceit was the sin. If they had just been honest about what they were doing, it would not have been an issue. And, and the thing is, the early church, being in its purest form, it's not perfect, as you can see here, but this is the kind of deceit that would destroy a community. If everyone acted like that, the early church would not have had the same power. Walking by the Spirit, the same mind and, and heart, that's what that's about, is that we can trust one another and we can move towards the same mission. And so how can we have integrity and, and still not have it all together? That was my question earlier. The answer, I think, is in this text, but uh, again, kind of like what it doesn't say, he was deceitful. Well, so the solution is to be honest. It doesn't mean we have to share everything with everyone. Sometimes people overshare. Uh, you, you can share with a close friend if you want, but sometimes it's not good to you know, throw it all over social media and share all of our problems. It doesn't really help either. But we have to be honest, however that looks. So that was what happened. We're going to finish the story. We're going to see the result of this deceit. And then I want to come back and look at why this happened. So verse 5, it says this. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Well, that's... That's a, he lied and then, and then he fell down and died. It's quite a story. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened, of course. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Okay, so first, Ananias, he lies. Um, Peter calls him out, he died. Then Sapphira came in, and, and three hours had passed. And I imagine that Peter, um, he, he's not the one that did the killing here. He was probably taken back as well. I mean, I, could, I couldn't imagine being in his shoes. He may have been more sad than, than angry. But he didn't want to get in the way of what God was doing, but he gave Sapphira a chance. He gave her a chance to come clean, and he asked her. And she lied as well, and, and so she died too. Ananias and Sapphira used God for their image, for their reputation, just to, for people to look at them and think, wow, how, how great are they? They didn't seem to care about God. They didn't obey him. I think that sometimes we have to ask ourselves how little, um, or maybe we have these questions of how little can I do and still get by, or how much can I get away with and still be okay? See, they wanted the credit. They wanted to uh, uh, Maybe they wanted salvation. Maybe they just wanted to be a part of a body of other people who cared so much. But they didn't want to make the sacrifice. I think too often we care about our image uh, more than we care about God and we care about others. I, myself included. This is a tough one. But as I, 
as I was thinking about image, because this is really all about hypocrisy, and you're going to see how this leads into it more and more as we go, I thought this sermon's kind of kind of dark. I mean, there's people lying and then they die. And, and so I, I wanted to find a story that I thought lightened things up a little bit. I found this. I think you might like it. A, a woman was sitting in the waiting room for her first appointment with a new dentist. And she noticed the, the, the diploma which bore his full name. Suddenly she remembered that a tall, handsome, dark-haired boy with the same name had been in her high school class so many years ago. Could this be the same guy I, I had a crush on way back then, she wondered. She quickly or discarded any such thought when she met the balding, gray-haired man with a deeply lined face. He's way too old to have been my classmate, she thought to herself. Still, after, after he examined her teeth, she asked, Did you happen to attend Morgan Park High School? Yes, I'm a Mustang, he gleamed with pride. When did you graduate, she asked. 1978, why do you ask? You were in my class, she exclaimed. Really, he said, looking at her closely. What did you teach? It's funny, but you know, the further we get away from high school and think back of our class, then we think, uh, never mind. I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble with anyone here. <clears throat> but when our identity or our image is attacked, it hurts. It, it does. It, this is we're human. And, and so we do whatever we can to make sure that doesn't happen. And so why did Ananias and Sapphira choose to do what they did? When I think about their situation, I try to translate it into our church setting. You know, someone becomes part of a church and learns the, the kind of things that are valued. And we do this not just in the church, but in any group setting that we're in. And you're supposed to give away at least 10% of your income. And you're supposed to pray and read your Bible every day. And you're supposed to witness to your unbelieving friends. And you're supposed to have, uh, to, uh, to have kids who love the Lord. And, and you're, you're never supposed to lose your temper. And you, you're never supposed to drink too much. You're supposed to enjoy your marriage. And, and all these things you're supposed to do. But, but what happens when your life doesn't match up? Just like Ananias and Sapphira, we fake it and then we die. We fake it and then we die. The minute Ananias and Sapphira pretended to be something they were not, death. We might be struggling with problems in our homes. We hide them. Our pride doesn't want anyone else to know what's going on. But you know, with our, with our, in our marriage and with our kids, and someone asks how you're doing, everything's great. And someone asks, how's your, how's your prayer life? And Well, it's great. And then you think, well, I didn't pray for the last three days or, or three months. And, and how's your Bible reading? Oh, well, I... It's all this one verse, but you, you don't want to admit it because we don't want to say, well, I haven't been reading my Bible as much as I should. And, and so we fake it, and we die, and we say, God is good. Pray, praise the Lord. And the minute that we say that falsely, we die as well. Someone said, thank God this doesn't happen anymore in the church. If it did, we'd have to put a morgue in every church. But it does happen. Our sin leads to physical death, but it also leads to spiritual death because it cuts us off from God. It's hard. Um, like I said, it's not easy. I, I, I preach a sermon on prayer, and you think, well, I wonder if, I wonder if Casey has the same prayer life as Jesus, because that, that, that was a pretty good example there. Or, or I come up and talk about giving, and you know what my thought is, should I be giving more? We talk about serving, and I challenge you guys to serve, and think, well, maybe I should be serving more too. And I talk about marriage. Well, my marriage is perfect. 
really. It's not really. Um, but but we want we want everyone to think that. I will say I have I have a wonderful wife, but I'm not perfect. So we our marriage isn't perfect. That's the, that's the thing. But um, but if you just ask ask our family. I mean, ask my wife if my marriage is perfect. Ask my kids if I'm a perfect dad. Uh, it, it's just you can get honesty from other people, but we sure like to fake it. If we do this too often, we will not move closer to God. Uh, in order to, to do that, we, we don't have to be perfect, but we just can't pretend. See, the thing is, when this happens with an individual, we're probably still okay as a church. But when more and more people do it, and, and we walk into church, and we go into our classes, and maybe we go into small groups, and, and everyone's perfect, well, guess what? When, when I have a problem, and I know that everyone else is around me is perfect, I'm probably not going to talk to anyone about it. I don't want to share because, well, if, if you guys all have it together, then I'm supposed to have it together. And maybe you feel the same way. If no one else has the same problem you do, maybe they do have that problem, but they're just not willing to share it. And then all of a sudden we're kind of a cold, lifeless church uh, because no one can be real with each other. It's hard to take the first step. It's hard to be the first person to do it. I, I get that because what will people think? Jesus called out the religious leaders of his time. He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They're beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. It's like, um, have you ever taken a, like an apple um, and bit into it? And then you realize that there was something, like it was rotting a little bit. Usually you can see an apple from the outside. But have you ever taken a bite of food that you thought, uh, I, that was gross, I shouldn't have eaten that. Um, I, I heard a story from, from someone uh, that, you know those chocolate, they're like a, it's like a ball. It's just like this big. And it's, and it's hard chocolate on the outside and on the inside there's like creamy chocolate. Does anybody know what those are called? I, I honestly can't remember. They're either like blue for milk chocolate and red for dark chocolate. But, uh, but you take a bite and there's creamy chocolate inside. Anybody? Yeah. What? Lindor, yes, Lindor chocolates. Thank you. <laughs> so um, after I finish the story, you may never want to eat one again because um, the, the person told me that they took a bite of one and there was like maggots or little bugs inside of it. <laughs> I, I really wrestled with sharing that because it was so gross, but I thought Halloween's coming up soon. So if I share this, it will save you from eating as much candy. I'm trying to save you from, from too many sweets around Halloween. That's the inside, though. Looking good on the outside, being dead on the inside. Sometimes we'd rather let the sin eat us from the inside out than, than get help, and it's killing us. It's, it's not just in the church. Faking it has become, uh, a, a, I think, even more popular because of, of the like button, uh, because of, or the little heart on Instagram. How many can I get? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it look as good as possible so I can get as many likes as possible. Author Gad Saad, he's one of the voices exposing the harm and folly of political correctness in the U.S. and Canada. And in his book, he explores this, this uh, practice known as virtue signaling. And most often on social media, people express moral outrage by hashtagging a cause and doing nothing else. There was an example a while back, hashtag bring back our girls. Now that was used by millions globally because of the kidnapping of Nigerian schoolgirls by Boko Haram. The only thing that came out of all the virtue signaling was feeding people's egos on, uh, and the social message that they're progressive and a good person. Now, I, I don't think it's all bad. I think if we hashtag something, a cause, and even if we're doing absolutely nothing, 
It might lead someone else to. So I don't mean that it's all bad, but if that's our intention is only to hashtag a, a big cause because we want people to think that we're progressive and doing something good, we're, we're not really doing anything. We're just feeding our own ego. It's not confession time today, although that's important, but a time to decide who are you now and who do you want to be? Do we care more about pleasing others or God? If we aren't getting the desired result in our faith, why? Because we aren't living the way that God intended us to live, individually and as a church. What do you want Mount Pulaski Christian Church to look like? Think about it. Uh, if, if, uh, if everyone lived a certain way, if everyone lived like you lived, I know you've probably heard this before, but if everyone lived just like you, the whole church was full of just all yous, how, how would the church look? That, that, I think that, that might be, uh, obviously we have different gifts, so I don't mean that, but as far as our commitment and our love towards God, what would the church look like? If we want the church to look like it's supposed to, then we have to be people who make up, uh, people who look like the good example. The early church loved one another, they trusted one another. I think the biggest thing here was that they did not have to live in fear, fear of judgment, fear of belonging. I, that was the issue with Ananias and Sapphira to me, is, is they were afraid of being known for something that they were not. They wanted to be known in a certain way. They saw Joseph. Everyone loved, Joseph's the son of encouragement. People really think highly of him. What if we do the same thing? And then they do. Maybe they had really good intentions. I sell this, we're going to sell this field, and we're going to give the money to the... Oh, wait. I really want, I really want to buy that boat. Uh, I really want to buy that motorcycle. Um, we have a, a missionary here today, um, Stephen McCain, and he said that they bought their, their minister a motorcycle. I, I'm assuming that's his only transportation. But, but I do think if you buy me a motorcycle, what you're telling me is you don't want me to be your minister anymore because I don't think I could, I don't think I could keep, it, keep it up on the road. But anyway, if only Ananias and Sapphira would have been real uh, with their fears then they would have been able to love others the right way, in a way that they actually could do it, and they would have been able to be loved by others and not so worried about being exposed. And that's where we have to be. We can't be afraid to talk to someone. If, if we're struggling with the sin that's destroying ourselves, our families, our marriage, our, our opportunity to parent or to reach the lost, we have to share it with each other. We can't claim that we're something we're not. And if, if we do, if we try to act like we're something we're not, we cut off any chance of growing and being the individual in the church that God intends us to be. Ultimately, I, I think it, if I think I'm something I'm not, then I don't need Jesus. I mean, really think about it. If I, if I think I'm, I'm good enough, I mean, look at all the other people. I'm, I'm coming to church every week. I'm serving. I'm giving. I'm, I'm teaching. I'm doing everything I can. I mean, why do I really need a Savior? Now, obviously, no one, I don't think anyone really thinks that to the core, but we start to tell ourselves little lies, and we, we tell other people those little lies, and then we start to tell ourselves, and we tell God, and we think that we believe them, so he would believe them too, right? I'm good enough. So why would I need a Savior if I'm that good? I, I don't know how we can, we can actually believe that when, I really, when you stop and sit back and, and look at it, but when you, when you think about how life goes, when we're feeding our image and our ego so much, and we're always worried about how people think of us, it seems like maybe it is pretty easy to get to that point. I don't, I don't think Ananias and Sapphira, this was their first lie. I think they started out with something little, and that deceit uh, fed their image, and they got likes, and so they just kept going with it until like the counterfeit money, when it came to a time when it mattered, 
they were exposed. Romans 3, 23 and 24. I'm, I'm about finished here. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now the word in there that stands out is all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then verse 24 says, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The first step against hypocrisy is humility. Recognizing who I am, my need for a Savior, and that only Jesus could do that for me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the new life that, that we find. When we see ourselves for who we really are, it is only then we can appreciate Jesus as our Savior. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for um, uh, this story, as much as it's a, a sad story, a story that, of, of people who are overcome by sin and led away from you. I, I pray that uh, for every one of us here that we don't take that same path. Um, we see the risks. Uh, I think it's so easy just to look around and see uh, how easy it would be to become Ananias and Sapphira. And, and so I, I pray that our eyes are, are open to your truths and to your love uh, that you made a way uh, to get back to you, even in our sinfulness, uh, all of us. Uh, you've offered us a better way. And so I pray that our trust will grow our wisdom will grow, and our courage to, uh, to live life with one another will grow so that we can, we can help fight, uh, fight against the enemy, and ultimately move closer to you. So we thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen.